Major funding for Telehell is provided by Dave's Archives. At Dave's Archives, he personally transfers, archives, and preserves classic commercials from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s and shares them with you. Don't forget about his Friday night live stream on, well, guess when? Go to davesarchives.com. By RetroCirc. Take a not so silent journey through millennial and Gen X nostalgia with RetroCirc, hosted by the Off Duty Mime Players. Look for them on YouTube under RetroCirc, spelt with a Q at the end. RetroCirc, where the Q is not quiet. And by the very generous benefactors who grace us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash telehealthpodcast, including Rhonda Farrell, Rick Kalecki Jr., Chris Michaud, Man Mojack. Meredith Morrissey, Justin Moses, Rabbi, Spare Parts, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. too soon. I think I may have overdone it on the taser. He's drooled and defecated himself so much on the way down here, I'm gonna have to sterilize the wagon with fire just so it can be clean again. He's your problem now, Pilgrim. Thanks. I'll try to snap him out of it. just had to break the rules again, didn't you? Hello? Recognize me? Lord of Darkness? Visionary of all evil? The demon responsible for causing both an actor and a writer to strike at the same time? You know, your boss? Hey, Toots, do me a favor. Come in here and help me snap this guy out of it. You talk to him more than I do. What's up, Chief? Yeah, can you give this TV guy his marbles back? We got some business to take care of. No problem. All I gotta do is mention something that really pisses him off, and he's all yours. Let me just uh, pull up his file. Let's see. Hey, honey. Have you heard? They unearthed a lost episode of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour with 90% more clowns in the swimming pool. I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. I'll kill them all. I gotta stop them before it ever sees the daylight and... Why would you ever say that to me? You know how I feel about that show? And clowns. Calm down, honey. I had to say that to get you out of your straitjacket, so to speak. Oh, man. How long have I been out of it? Mm, Six months. But don't worry. You're just fine. (laughs) Give or take uh, the need for a fresh pair of pants. Let's hope you're gonna stay just fine once you-know-who is done with ya. Good luck. Fuck. Look, I, I, I know I said I was going to review those shows, but people started requesting things, and I had to take care of those first because the show was actually making money this year, and then the Bill Oakley interview wiped out our budget, and we simply ran out of time to talk about all the other things that I swear we were going to do, then please don't vaporize my soul. I have the thermostat set right where I want it. Get off your knees, you <laughs> fuckhole. Stop groveling. Now! I'm only gonna say this once. 
If I were to vaporize the souls of everybody who skipped a work assignment or two, not only would this place be empty, but I'd be out of a job. And the guy upstairs would have to create a second heaven just to take care of the overflow on their side. So, as much as I want to vaporize your soul for being lazy, I'm really not in the mood to lose a real estate battle, especially in this economy. So, what does that mean? It means that sloth is just a regular deadly sin around here. And I could give several dozen shits if you skipped eight shows. Seriously, eight shows? But they did review last year. Anyway, down here, that's like the equivalent of swatting a butterfly, if you don't believe in the butterfly effect. But why did you have me hauled down in a police car? Con Wayne read me my rights and cuffed me. And besides, I thought cars weren't allowed down here because of their flammability. Oh, that, well, that police car was an electric vehicle. I'm trying to exploit all the tax credits I can to keep Hell's fires burning year-round. And as for Wingus Khan busting you, look, the guy's been here since the 13th century looking for something to do. He's already raped and pillaged everybody down here eight billion times. I didn't want him to get bored. So, do I still have to review the shows that got me struck by lightning? Like I said, I don't give a shit. But if it means that much to you, try to do at least one of them before this season's over. Am I in any trouble of any kind? Aside from what brought you to hell in the first place, nothing. Not really. It's just that this is the start of your sixth season, and I've been asked to personally hand you your first assignment of the year. Something you requested two years ago. Wait. When did I request something? Let's go to the videotape. One of the TV shows that I always wanted to cover here in Telehell but could never find access to was that of a 1969 comedy variety show called Turn On, a show that was notorious for not only being one of the first TV series to get canceled after one episode, but that one of the affiliates carrying the show actually canceled it and took it off the air within its first 10 minutes. No, 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 that's impossible. That show's been lost to time for over 50 years. And you know we won't review things that we don't have access to. Yeah, and you're also replacing one of those rules, if I'm not mistaken. Something about not reviewing YouTube and web series in place of not reviewing local or international shows. <laughs> good, good luck with that. Anyway, point is, Turn On has been found. Somebody uploaded it for all the world to see, and now you get to see it. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. No way. There is no way down here that this show has been found. People have gone out of its way to make sure that the show never sees the light of day. It, it couldn't have been found. What? You want me to spell it out for you? It's been found. See for yourself. Turn on has been brought to you by Whistle. The new lemon whistle spray cleaner and the new big whistle for big jobs. Both of them with lemon bright cleaning power. Now, you're already on thin ice with me for skipping shows to review. And considering how hot it gets down here, being on any ice of any kind is damn near miraculous. And while well, miracles is something the opposition upstairs would do. But anyway, we wouldn't want to start the season on a bad note now, would we? But you just said you don't care if I did! I wouldn't have made it to this position if I didn't take back half of the things that I promise all the time. Now, review this piece of lost media, or I really will vaporize your soul! Do I make myself clear, you fuckwad? I hate it when you do that. Yeah, well, so does everybody else. Comes with the territory. <laughs> now get on with it. Well, welcome to season six, everybody. Yay! And now, back by popular harassment. This is Hell.
Let's begin this year by talking about one of the all-time greatest, yet somehow unsung, pioneers of television. For all the credit, people give the likes of Lucille Ball, Lorne Michaels, Norman Lear, James L. Brooks, Chuck Lorre, and many others that are worthy of their own successes. Much more needs to be said about a man named George Slaughter. In fact, so much needs to be said that I'm just going to shamelessly cut and paste from the biography on his own official website, because, let's face it, it's only going to be a matter of time until the boss forces me out and uses AI technology to write the show. So, let's just cherry-pick some information to save some time. George Slaughter is a veteran of over 60 years in network television. He produced the first five years of the Grammy Awards, plus series and specials starring Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland, Eddie Murphy, Cher, Elton John, Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, and scores of others. Over the years, George has received numerous honors and awards, including 25 Emmy Award nominations, three Emmys, three Image Awards, Golden Globe Awards, Television Critics Awards, Directors Guild Award, Producers Guild Man of the Year, and many others. Throughout his long and successful career as a producer, director, and writer, Schlatter has been responsible for hundreds of hours of television series and specials. He changed the face of television when he created and produced the breakthrough series, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Due to circumstances beyond our control, we now present Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. <laughs> Time. <laughs> I love my tinkle. <laughs> and it's because of the success of Laugh-In on NBC that one particular network wanted very much to duplicate that same success for themselves. A very, very long time ago in our program on the history of the movie of the week, we'd made a passing mention or two on how the ABC network in its early days on the air was not exactly a place where viewers flocked to for entertainment. Sure, the network did have a scattered hit or two in the 50s and 60s, but with CBS being the dominant of the then three networks and NBC as a reliable second place, let's just say that ABC's reputation in the 60s could easily be compared to the Fox network when it was just starting out in the 80s. Plenty of bold ideas for a young audience, but few people watching resulting in mass cancellations on a seemingly annual basis. In fact, I will repeat one of the most common quips the network faced during this particular era. Quote, Want to end the war in Vietnam? Put it on ABC. It'll be canceled in 13 weeks. Still though, in spite of its missteps and misgivings, the network was still in enough of a position that it could take those chances because the other two networks were spoken for. And seeing how unexpectedly popular and Emmy award-winning Laugh-In would turn out to be for NBC, ABC was hoping that George Slaughter, his production partner Ed Friendly, and fellow Laugh-In writer Digby Wolf would do the same for them. Thing is, people don't take too kindly to copycats, unless of course you're Asylum Films. So the task at hand for Slaughter and Company was to do a version of Laugh-In that essentially carried on its spirit, but was different enough so that it could still carry its own identity. The thing about Laugh-In that made itself unique from other TV shows, aside from the fact that it was one of a handful of TV shows airing at that time that promoted the so-called counter-cultural movements that were happening at that moment, was the simple fact that it ran at a far faster pace than anything else that aired on TV at the time. Some of the bits they did were traditional sketch comedy length. Do you believe in the hereafter? Of course I do! <laughs> then you know what I'm hereafter. Some bits had their fair share of recurring characters and catchphrases. Sock it to me, 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 sock it to yourself! Sock it to me? Others still were quick one-liners. My church welcomes all denominations. But my favorite is the $5 bill. And others were simply means to transition themselves into the next element. At that very moment. Oh, oh Uncle Al really needs a lot of medicine. 
listen. All of which was done in a one-hour time frame. This new show that ABC wanted from Schlatter & Company was to be a half hour, meaning that right off the bat, anything that Laugh-In was already doing, this new show had to do at seemingly double the speed. All that was needed was a way to properly illustrate the speed of this show. It may seem like a far-fetched idea in this day and age, but in 1969, when the show was scheduled to air, the Brain Trust thought that it might have been unique and revolutionary if this program was literally and figuratively programmed in a high-tech way. Computers were still very much in their infancy in the late 1960s, with modules big enough to fit entire rooms, yet only have enough firepower to generate the equivalent of a couple of megabytes in this day and age. In other words, this show was going to rely more on concept than comedy itself. In short, the show's premise was that it was, quote, the first computerized TV show according to its opening sequence. The show had no sets except for a clinical white backdrop where sketches generated by an artificially intelligent computer would be acted out. And just to be sure that sensory overload would reach peak capacity, the show also took the step of adding animated vignettes, stop-motion sequences, distorted graphics, and a relatively new musical instrument called the Moog Synthesizer into what was already sounding like the TV equivalent of jamming food into a blender with an unsharpened blade. Not unlike Laugh-In, the people they chose to act out these micro-sketches were also a cast of then-relative unknowns who had already made their bones in character roles. People like Teresa Graves, Hamilton Camp, Mel Stewart, Chuck McCann, Bonnie Boland, Maxine Green, Ken Greenwald, Debbie Maycomer, Maura McGivney, and Robert Statz. And for the record, I've actually heard of half of these people, but does anybody really tune into a TV show to see if untested talent can carry the weight? Here, no. Which is why this show, not unlike Laugh-In, would have a fair share of weekly guest stars. The one they got to appear in the first show would certainly be no stranger to sketch comedy then and in the years ahead. Mr. Tim Conway. What's it, Tim Conway? Uh, about 120 pounds. We'll get to Tim Conway's involvement in just a moment. But for now, there was one other piece of the puzzle to put in, the show's title. A few years earlier, Schlatter and company came up with the title of Laugh-In as a response to various kinds of protests taking place in the 60s. Things like sit-ins, love-ins, be-ins, sleep-ins, or to an extreme point, die-ins where people fake being dead. The title of Laugh-In came about because, as co-host Dan Rowan stated in its pilot, quote, Laugh-In is a frame of mind. For the next hour, we would just like you to sit back and laugh and forget about the other ins, end quote. Something else that was popular in the late 60s were the thoughts and musings of this man. I have one cause, and that's the goal of a performing philosopher, is to encourage you and um, inspire you and um, empower you, to the extent I can, to think for yourself and question authority. Although he really has nothing to do with this story directly, and anything involving him at all is pure coincidence, feel free to ask your grandparents as much as you can about Dr. Timothy Leary. Short version, he was a psychiatrist who discovered that hallucinogens like LSD may prove to be somewhat beneficial in the pursuit of mental health. In doing so, Leary came up with a mantra that would later turn out to be the slogan of the countercultural movement. Turn on, tune in, drop out. Since people were already tuning in to laugh in, and since dropping out would result in there being no viewers to watch this new show, it is by process of elimination that Schlaughter and Company's next venture into TV will be called Turn On. Wednesday, February 5th. Uproarious, eventful entertainment. A side-splitting, split-second first. The premiere of Turn On. 
I want everyone to take two steps forward. Your bodies will naturally follow you because ABC has assembled your freaks, your weirdos, your human curiosities, and we're bringing them into the privacy of your own home. So now that George Slaughter's second attempt at capturing lightning in a bottle is about to strike the landscape, there's really only one other thing that we need to do in order to get ourselves into the proper mindset to enjoy this show. It being a show from the 1960s, we must now make the proper adjustments. caffeine-free cola, you may think, hey, little cola taste. Well, here's a caffeine-free cola with big taste, like cola, made by 7-Up, a company famous for making great-tasting soft drinks with no caffeine. <sighs> Nothing little about like. Like cola and sugar-free like, the 7-Up of colas. Move over, Coke and Pepsi, for the 7-Up of colas. They're too short to be a cola. This week on Telehell's premium content of the damned. See me. So we're going to start with uh, some breakfast here. We have uh, Tim Horton's apple fritter cereal. Oh, my God. That's great. I never even saw that before. Yes. I love it. And I believe it is made in. Yep. It is Post Foods Canada. And they have uh, they have other uh, Tim Horton uh, flavors. That's good there, stuff. This is from Europe, but it's just a plate. Like they have, a, a, they have, there were other ones that I saw. There was a, like a South African orange that they mm-hmm. had there, and I think uh, like a generic hazelnut and all that stuff. Oh, that sounds great! I never heard but, of Tasmanian mint. These so are all great so far. Because according to the label, it is supposed to be fruit flavored, sparkling water. But this is a Pokemon Squirtle, and the flavor, <laughs> and the flavor is sea salt cheese i am not making oh my god okay well i have to try that it doesn't sound appealing but that makes me want to try it even more the only way to listen to telehealth's premium content of the damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast for just a few bucks a month you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And now, back to this week's torture. February 5th, 1969. Actor Michael Sheen and singer Bobby Brown would both be born. Crimson and Clover by Tommy James and the Shondells was at the top of the charts. And as the moon finds itself in the seventh house in the middle of the age of Aquarius, aka 830-730 Central, the next big leap in sketch comedy would take place, as two unknown technicians approach the giant push-button computer hub that would be responsible for providing us with tonight's content. Well, Charlie, this is it. The first computerized TV show. I never programmed a program before. What's first? This week's guest star, Tim Con. Groovy. Turn on. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Peyton Replays. That's not a joke, by the way. This show temporarily replaced the long-running primetime soap, Peyton Place. Topical back then, but yet another thing to ask your grandparents about. But go on. We will not be bringing you our usual weather report for Hong Kong, as the weatherman is down with a Sioux City flu. Uh, what? These eyes are dull, lifeless, unadorned. But see what happens with an easy application of eye glory. What a difference. Uh, seriously, what? Uh, tuba? Hippo? What? I feel so guilty. I mean, lying here, you know. I should be out shopping somewhere. 
Sponsor plugs. Three minutes in, and already my brain feels like it's being put through an industrial paper shredder. So much so that I think it's actually kind of brilliant marketing that a show this migraine inducing in its first three minutes is sponsored by the makers of a brand of aspirin. How many seconds before your pain reliever starts to your headache? This is Bufferin. If you had taken Bufferin just 60 seconds ago, Special ingredients could already be starting to speed its pain reliever to your headache. Okay, maybe I'm freaking out a little too soon. Maybe the bong hit I took before the break didn't quite hit me just yet. So, very quickly, let's do another one. Maybe now I'll be in a better state of mind to watch this. As we return with more rapid-fire non-sequiturs, the engineers at the computer flip a switch to reveal the word youth on the monitor. Okay, so maybe this is a themed sketch comedy show, in that all we're about to see has something to do with a single topic. So let's see what Turn On has to say about the youth of today of back then. Love me. Do I love you? We just met a couple of minutes ago. For all I know, you might be a pot-smoking, jaded, wild-eyed, radical dropout. I am a pot-smoking, jaded, wild-eyed, radical dropout. I love you. I can't speak for the people of the 1960s, but I do admit that was a somewhat solid gag. How else do we pander to the youth of... Oh, we're on a new topic already. Now a screen pops up that says, Law and Order. Not that one. And no, Digby Wolf is no relation at all to Dick Wolf, as we see an officer with a flashlight and... Hello, young lovers, wherever you are. (laughs) And that's it for Law and Order. Could have used a lot more Benson and Stabler, but whatever. As we now flip a switch to politics. There we go. One of the bedrocks of satire. Ladies and gentlemen, the body politic. Mr. Nixon as president now becomes the titular head of the Republican Party. We're moving the time of the test forward to 8.30 a.m. so the people we're evacuating won't be inconvenienced. Isn't that nice? Tell me, where is the capital of South Vietnam? Mostly over here, in uh, Swiss bank accounts. Or in this case, the bedrock has been pulverized into sand. As we now... All right, you're charged with the following. Armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, resisting arrest... So we're back to Law and Order? I, I thought that segment was over. Hold it, Todd, and get one phone call. Okay. Hello. What time's the second show on a funny girl tonight? Uh... Ha... Ah, funny. 
Sir, a Russian ship. Well, what the hell are they doing in the Mediterranean? Still another thing that makes absolutely no sense to me, as more jokes the size of a Bazooka Joe wrapper inundate our senses. We actually have a relatively long-form piece next being performed by a guy whose hair is clearly made out of Play-Doh and black licorice Twizzlers. Girls, I want to be a friend to your feet. Your hot feet, your tired feet, your feet that itch, ache, burn, swell, or throb. A guy who may or may not be Quentin Tarantino's grandfather, but please continue. Yes, it's E. Eddie Edwards for the FFA, the fabulous foot fans of America, with an exciting line of literature that you can receive in the privacy of your own homes, and what you do there is nobody's business but your own, if you know what I mean. Now here's what you get, number one. A colorful four-page folder featuring spicy photos of the feet of Wayne Newton, the Barry sisters, and Ernie Fukasada. Photos just the way you like them. Number two, a black and white film of the marching drum majorettes caring for their feet in the locker room after the Rose Parade in Pasadena. You just want to take those tie little feet in your hands and give them a big kiss. And three, our booklet, So You Want to Be a Shoe Salesman, with helpful tips and an introduction by the fabulous Harry Carl. The three-piece set, yours, an amazing low, $14.95 if you act now. Okay, note to self, clear internet browsing history before wrapping up the show today. What else you got? Oh, the credits are still going. That's a little distracting, eight minutes into the show. Let's see who the writers are. Uh, let's see, Les Pine, I've heard of him. George Burdett, heard of him. Bunch of other people I need to read up on, and... Oh, no. Seriously? He wrote for this show? Albert Brooks was a writer for this show? I say it here, it comes out there. I mean, I'm not saying this as a note of shock or disappointment or anything, but if you know the expression, cutting your teeth on something, then it's beyond the realm of hyperbole to say that Albert Brooks cut his teeth with a hedge trimmer, even though there's no actual cutting involved in actual teeth cutting. But for the first time this season, I digress and should probably take another hit just to make it make more sense. Now then, back to the show and any attempts in this making any semblance of sense what-so-goddamn-ever. Why don't you just get yourself a job? Gotta stay loose, baby. I can't be pinned down to a job. Can't you accept you're just a member of the working class? I don't consider myself working class. You don't consider yourself working class? What do you consider yourself? I consider myself middle class. So if you're the middle class, who's the working class? The unemployed. <laughs> a sound that I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot of with... Jeez, 20 minutes to go. Now that's right. Uh, this week I'm authorizing expenditures of $23 billion for defense, $4 billion, $700 million for additional foreign aid, and $11 billion for domestic programs. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Here's your coffee, and you still owe for last week. Could you get that up, please? <laughs> Next. As district attorney of the state of New Jersey, I'm investigating charges that too many state legislators are too comfortable with organized crime. Oh, good morning, Rocco. <laughs> Next. Okay, I'll give them a courtesy point there. But man, will those be in short supply. Next. All right, you're charged as follows. Armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, resisting arrest, and first degree murder. Take him away. Call it, Toad. Wait a minute, I get to make one phone call. All right. 
Hey, I'd like to order a bucket of chicken and an order of fried and some macaroni salad. What's the address here? 17 Fuzz Street. 17 Fuzz Street. Excuse me for a moment. Uh, I, I don't often do this, but... What is it now, fuckface? Uh, boss? Permission to go back to my taser-induced stupor, please? Oh, for fuck's sake, stop being a pussy and finish the review! And how the here did you get this number? Well, 666 is a pretty easy phone number to remember. Call this number again and I'll have you reincarnated as a topping bar at Chipotle in Idaho. Wait, there's... there's Chipotle restaurants in Idaho? Five of them, actually. And guess who put them there? Now get back to work, fuckhead! Okay then, moving forward with more of The Non Sequitur Show. Phillips, you want to take some of this pornographic literature home with you tonight? I don't even have a pornograph. And just for context's sake, the next part of that joke is the sound of a man eating the content of the pornographic material. No, not that kind of eating. I mean knife, fork, chew, swallow pages of a magazine. But for the sake of this being an audio show, I kind of feel the need to differentiate certain sounds of ecstasy. Pity. And I can't think of a better place to pause than right here. I want to jump ahead a little to the end of this story, because right now we're currently at the halfway point of this show. And it is allegedly at the halfway point of this show that ABC affiliate WEWS-TV in Cleveland pretty much threw their hands up in the air and said, fuck it, to the rest of the show. Granted, there'd still be four minutes to go until the commercial break, but by that point, a quote-unquote flood of protests from angry viewers to the station's general manager was made obvious. And we're going to put it pin in why I'm putting the word flood in quotes in just a moment. But for now, from here, I'm going to let the guest star of this fever dream in TV history tell us what happened next from Beyond the Grave. Take it away, Tim Conway. Turn On was a show that George Slaughter thought was going to be hysterical. And it kind of was, but it was way ahead of its time. I'm not sure even if you saw it today that maybe that time has also passed. We did the show. It aired first in New York, and we had a uh, opening party out here at a hotel, and we were waiting for the reviews. As it came across the country, it was being canceled. <laughs> it got canceled in New York, and when it got to Ohio, they shut it off after 15 minutes. I mean, they didn't even let it go the whole half hour. So, like, yeah, the station manager called and said, get that off. I mean, a guy who plays in Oregon in case the station blows up hadn't played in 20 years. <laughs> By the time it got to California, it was it was off. So we had a, uh, the uh, coming out party and the cancellation party, very economical, because it was all in one evening, <laughs> and <laughs> gone. Now, unfortunately, we don't happen to have any clips of the Cleveland station using the organ to keep their TV signal lit for the remaining 15 minutes, but I can only imagine that the organ in question sounded a little something like this. After getting the angry calls, the general manager personally telegraphed the programmers at the ABC Network headquarters in Los Angeles, stating in no uncertain terms, quote, If your naughty little boys have to write dirty words on the walls, please don't use our walls. Turn on is turned off at WEWS as far as we're concerned, end quote. A concern so vocal that the complaints wound up expanding throughout the western part of the United States as the show was still airing in the eastern and central time zones. As a result, some ABC affiliates chose to air the show in late night time slots, while other affiliates in Denver, Seattle, and Portland flat out refused to air the show altogether. After all, when you see something like this on primetime TV, in the 1960s... I use a man's lotion. I use a man's perfume. I use a man's deodorant. When I'm all through, 
I smell like a lady. Can I see something in a two-inch pump? Of course the alarm bells will ring. So, with the network slowly but surely imploding on itself for airing this show, we might as well take a page from the late, great Curtis Mayfield. If there's hell and gentlemen, the body politic. The California Highway Patrol says women obey traffic laws better than men. The one exception, failure to yield. Just embrace the madness without any form of consequences, aside from immediate cancellation. Professor? Ah, you. (laughs) Hammering is the door of life. Tremulous, eager, courageous. What is it, citizen of tomorrow? Do you believe in premarital sex? Hmm. Well, now that's a serious question, which deserves a sincere and properly qualified answer. Shut your dirty mouth. And hey, while we're at it, let's throw in more credits in the middle of the show, which I'm guessing they did because at the rate things are going, there really wasn't much of a sense in whether the show was starting or stopping. Oh, good. The show actually stopped for a second. Just as well, I don't think this weed is working. Well, third time's a charm, as they say. (gasps) Maybe if I hold it in for the rest of this AT&T commercial, I might feel something. Of course, we have telephones over in England, but I never dreamed you could do such wild things with them. States, you can actually send drawings, I mean pictures, right over the telephone system. To me, that's something else. Just think, I could send my designs all over the world just by picking up the telephone. It isn't so much our telephones, Miss Quant. It's our network that links them together that gives us the most extraordinary communication system in the world. Sending pictures through telephones. Far out, man. Next thing you know, they'll be sending long, drawn-out talk radio programs through telephones. Can you dig it, man? As we return to our LSD hallucination on network TV airwaves, another rogue credit pops up. But this one, too, is worth mentioning. Once again, for the sake of this being an audio show, we should point out that in spite of the comedy being presented to us, there's also little bits and pieces of animated material being peppered throughout the show. And while Mel Henke Productions is responsible for some of it, I gotta give a shout out to the late, great Bill Melendez, a name you might recognize if you've ever watched anything involving Charlie Brown or Snoopy in your childhood that was not modernized with CGI. He was responsible for many Peanuts specials and a number of other animated series right up until his passing in 2008. How he wound up getting roped into this show was anybody's guess, but considering this was the late 1960s, I've already made three bong references this episode, why run ourselves into the ground? Moving on now to... Which I know is a pretty boilerplate thing on TV today, but in 1969, it may have been the reason why a Cleveland TV station decided to play organ music for the next 15 minutes. And as a friendly reminder, all of what you're about to hear was a product of its time, so try to imagine being genuinely shocked by what you're about to hear. Have you tried to be more, I don't know, seductive? Maybe he's just tired. Or bored, or getting old. Listen, love, don't forget you've been married a few years now. And statistics show that married people make love two and eight-tenths times per week. That's right. Two for him and eight-tenths for me. She's cute, but she just doesn't understand the new math. (laughs) Want to see my abacus? Followed by the perfect segue after sex... Religion. It is written that Moses was spoken to by a burning bush. Only thou canst prevent it forest fires. 
Gee, I wouldn't know anything about preventing fires down here. As we move on to... Uh, boss, help me. Jokes about... Race. Uh, excuse, excuse me, sir. I found this Bible in my room. Yes? Well, it said Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Well, that's right. In the Atlanta Hilton? Well, uncomfortable but brief. Though the worst may be yet to come, as this act pretty much repeats Act 1 in that all the stuff that lit up on the computer gets jumbled up. Meaning now we cycle back to more lines about... Zack! What are we going to do about inflation? Well, I've been taking the pill. She'll say it's wonderful and she'll thank you the longest day you live. Which includes a scene where somebody tries to get the pill out of a vending machine, but with no luck. I'm laughing. I'm honestly laughing. We have an actual funny scene. And how do we screw it up? We in the South have a protective attitude about our women's folk. Maybe it's wrong, but that's the way we are. We always put our women on pedestal. Well, friend. Will you shut up while the men folks is talking? Come on, big beauty. Okay, I can't think of a better reason to break out the official turn on offended audience checklist. Let's pull it out. Let's see. So far, the show has made fun of men, check. Women, check. Minorities, races, ethnic groups, young people, the police, the South, the political left, the political right, family values, the promiscuous, the religious, and foot fetishists. Okay. Might as well throw in the blind, deaf, and dumb, if they only knew what they were watching in the first place. I have perfect eyesight, hearing, and a functioning brainstem, and I still don't know what's going on here. And I'm probably gonna need all three of those things because this next segment may be the most visual one of the show. And that's saying a lot. Now, while we will be putting part of this scene up as this week's YouTube episode trailer, I owe it to you listeners out there to run a play-by-play of what's going to happen here. And it all begins with the simple inclusion of a three-letter word against the black backdrop. Say it with me now. Zack! From there, we see the disembodied heads of Tim Conway and one of the female cast members doing a number of non-verbal interactions. All as the word... ...changes colors to reflect various moods. Conway looks at the female, the female looks at Conway. Conway gives off a couple of come-hither leers at the female, the female gives him a look of no thanks. Conway is mouthing a possible proposition and then suddenly... Sex. ...has an exclamation point at the end. The female is mortified. Conway's body language is altered slightly while... Now has a question mark on it, then pivots back to the exclamation point. The female is still not interested. Conway tries yet again to conquest. Jack Is now underlined, showing that he means business. The female flatly refuses. Conway persists, while... Jack Now has two question marks. The female still says no. Conway doesn't give up, while... Jack now has three exclamation marks and flashing multiple colors. More give and take when suddenly... Zack! Now has a percentage sign and a question mark. 
Okay. Uh, more debate, and then... Sex! Now has a dollar sign where the S is, and the female is... Smiling? Is she a hooker? We don't know, because once again, all we see is her head. But it doesn't matter, since she finally agrees, as she and Conway both bolt off the screen. Presumably to have the best... Sex! ...that money can buy. All of a sudden, a worried look on the woman's face, followed by images of people with babies, families, and whoever the Pope was back in 1969. Suddenly, the Tim Conway head chases the female head because somebody wanted to get some head, but I'm bummed. This continues for another 30 seconds of broadcast network TV airtime when suddenly... Sex! Now has an asterisk attached to itself. Another picture of a baby, followed by a picture of Jackie Kennedy marrying Aristotle Onassis. It made sense at the time. The two heads then zoom up to the word... Sex! When all of a sudden the word starts vibrating violently for a couple of seconds, the female head returns with a look of disappointment and finally the S in... Sex! is replaced by an abbreviation point, turning the word into X. And then... Which is more or less what happens immediately after sex. And at the risk of going over budget on Simpsons clips in record time, my thoughts on this scene and this show in general can be summed up thusly. What the hell is that? Yes, there's still another minute of high-speed quick cuts, but after what I just sat through, what the here is the point? Turn on has been brought to you by Whistle. The new lemon whistle spray cleaner and the new big whistle for big jobs. Both of them with lemon bright cleaning power. I... I have no words for this, but unlike Superstar USA, it's not the kind of having no words that results in any kind of outrage, but rather, I am genuinely stumped over what I just witnessed. At the same time, there's still lingering questions in the air left unanswered. Answers to these and many other questions that I have not yet thought of can be revealed in our nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. Whenever I review a TV show, especially one from a very long time ago, I try to think of things from the perspective of viewers who may have seen the show when it originally aired, even though this show aired a good 15 years before I was ever born. In this case, I actually had to watch the show about 10 times to make sure that I didn't miss anything in terms of the show's speed alone. Once I did, and also took a little extra time to reference what it was they were making references to, I realized that this show would have been perfect for a cable TV audience if cable TV was more mainstream instead of it being used as a common public utility back then. But because a show this subversive and this countercultural aired on broadcast network television, even though George Slaughter's Laughing was already doing things at just as fast a pace, if not a little slower, the effort naturally proved to be beyond anybody's expectations. From the networks to the show's sponsor, Bristol Myers Squibb, and even the show's co-creator himself. And at this time, I'm going to let Mr. Schlaughter himself, in his own words, describe what his overall intentions were, as well as a bit of a contradiction to the claim that ABC's Cleveland affiliate was flooded with protest calls. Take it away, sir. And Turn On was actually, one day I'm going to run Turn On. It was actually a hell of a television show. But it went on, and it was we, the original commitment was for 13 shows, and we sold it to Bristol Myers, who were a very, very conservative sponsor. And when they saw the pilot with Tim Conway in the pilot trying to commit suicide all through the show, <laughs> uh, they increased the purchase from 13 to 16. And uh, it went on the air, and there was a guy in Cleveland. Nobody ever heard this. There was a guy in Cleveland who wanted ABC to keep Peyton Place on the air. He hated the idea of losing Peyton Place. And uh, so he got on the phone. He'd never seen the show, but he got on the phone and called all of the affiliates 
and said, this is terrible, we have to get rid of it, it's going to ruin your station and my station. And he started calling them, and he called the East Coast, and then he kept calling them and calling them. So they kept canceling the show before anybody had seen it, because of this one wing nut in Cleveland, right, who I still say belongs in Silly City in a rubber room, you know. And uh, he was very effective, though. And the network said, we can't do this because it'll we'll lose the network. Nobody had seen the show. And it was just this one wacko in Cleveland. The, they said that they had jammed the switchboard. And Tim Conway was there about six months later. The switchboard was one phone <laughs> with two lines on it. And a girl sitting there with terminal acne and the IQ of a chrysanthemum, and she was trying to answer the phone while she was still talking to whatever served as a boyfriend. She was the one that said the switchboard was jammed. It was two lines in Cleveland. That was right around when the, the, the river caught on fire in Cleveland. You know, this was not uh, this was not Harvard. So anyhow, but it was very effective. And they called, and they and the network. My deal with the network was that. They wouldn't pay me anything unless I agreed to never air the shows, because if you ever saw the shows, they're brilliant. They're really great. It was pretty, it was pretty hip. It would even be hip by today's standards. Uh, one day I'm going to put it all together and, and put it on the air as the truth about Turn On. We already telegraphed this point earlier, but it goes without saying that once certain ABC affiliates caught wind of just how batshit crazy this show was, the show's end was more accelerated than it was inevitable. The network wanted 16 shows. Some reports saying the number was actually 18 shows. But at the end of the day, only one show did all the damage, with a second unaired episode sitting on the shelf before it too was uploaded to YouTube this past summer. And there's no way down here I'm gonna review that one because it's pretty much more of the same. So, a mark for Limbo. Ooh, a new bell. Gonna have to get used to that. Anyway, the show wound up in limbo because various ABC affiliates wanted it taken off the air and stricken from the record, which could only happen through viewer and station manager complaints invoking a record-breaking rap. Some of the rapid-fire cutaway jokes in the show invoked a very brief, albeit cartoonish, element of violence. Oh, and uh, have we mentioned the subtle and not-so-subtle usage of... Last time I used that clip, I promise. But yes, because this was the swing in 60s, Schlauter and company felt that pumping the show up with sex jokes in an effort to keep up with the youth of today was probably one of the bigger miscalculations a TV show could make. Yes, sex sells. When it's executed correctly and subtly. But on a TV show where things can be about as subtle as a sledgehammer to your foot, lust unfortunately does a belly flop. But perhaps the most important aspect about this show that has gone overlooked in its wake is the fact that this show tried to capture lightning in a bottle twice for Schlauter and company. ABC saw the success that Laffin was doing for NBC. They wanted a piece of the action with the same people involved, and what they got instead was water from a can of Coke. Turn On tried to be Laffin at half the time and double the speed, but all it did was cannibalize what made Laffin great and turn Turn On into its wayward kid brother. Well intended, but still writing one's coattails straight into fraud and heresy against what brought Schlauter his success in the first place. And you bet your sweet bippy that you'll look that up in your funkin' wagnalls. Turn On earned six out of nine circles of telehell. But there are still a few questions that we have yet to answer. Is this show good or bad in spite of when this was made? Was the show too far ahead of its time? Did ABC affiliates who called for the network to have the show's plug pull prematurely have the biggest knee-jerk reaction known to mankind? Should this show have stayed lost? And perhaps more importantly, could this show work today? First, considering the time it was released, I don't think the show was either good or bad, but I would definitely file it under experimental. So much so that it answers the question of, was this far ahead of its time? Definitively, without a doubt, yes. It doesn't matter how countercultural the 60s were or what kind of statement the show was trying to make. People watched TV at a much slower pace back then, 
So it wouldn't surprise me if people thought the show's pace was so erratic that it was akin to taking a rocket ship to your local grocery store. Did ABC react too quickly to canceling? Well, from their perspective, they had to do what was best for the network, even though they're the ones that greenlit the show in the first place. People called in to complain, and the complaints were more than loud enough. So they did what they felt was the right thing to do on a business standpoint. Should the show have stayed lost? Absolutely not. A show like this one is devoutly to be wished down here. Yes, it is one of history's biggest TV failures. Yes, it's worth discussion. And yes, it's also worth seeing for yourself because, quite honestly, our own thoughts on the show alone is probably not going to be enough to give it any justice in one way or another, especially given some of the show's overly visual elements that we didn't even get to discuss. Like all the passing animations of people holding up questionably subversive signs and slogans that were, again, a reflection of the time. Things like, The Amsterdam Levy is a dyke. Or a monk holding a sign that said, Make love, not wine. Or somebody else holding a sign saying, We refuse the right to serve refuse to anyone. Again, it probably made more sense at the time. But we should also reiterate that you must see this show for yourself. Both episodes are up on YouTube as of press time, and if they ever get taken down, I'm pretty sure they're available on the Internet Archive as well. And finally, could this show work today? In order to answer that question properly, I feel the need to break a critic's taboo. I try to avoid both comment sections and other criticism programs because I like to keep my opinions on things my own, no matter how much I agree or disagree with them. This is one of those cases, however, where I have to agree with the former because 90% of the YouTube comments posted on the Turn On Pilot not only praise the show, but they also feel that the show is not only the forerunner of, but could also fit like a glove on the schedules of Adult Swim or late 90s MTV. And if you've ever seen the stuff that they air on Adult Swim at 2 a.m., you'll understand why that's the perfect justification. In fact, I really do hope that somebody does acquire the rights to this show and puts it on a platform somewhere that it can easily be appreciated. After all, George Slaughter is in his mid-90s as of this recording, and nobody lives forever. Just something to think about. The one thing that I ask, though, and I've kind of kept this bottled up all episode long, but please, whoever acquires the rights to turn on, please, for the love of all that's unholy, please do the show without the mob synthesizers. Holy hell, this was the most annoying soundtrack I've ever heard. <laughs> How about that? How about that? We just sat through one of the most notorious TV shows of all time, and I didn't have to replace my brain with bubble wrap. Maybe this is going to be a good season after all. I wouldn't count on that, fuckbrain. Look, I did what I had to do, and I'm going to be a lot more diligent in the future, okay? And if I can survive a show like this, I can survive anything. Anything? I'm probably walking right into a trap saying this, but yes, anything. Good, because I just loaded up your schedule for this season. Counting the one you just did, not your best work, but anyway... You have 20 assignments, plus all the premium content for those who pay to listen to you on Patreon. It'll be the usual bi-weekly schedule of shows for the most part, except for the months of January, March, and May. Those months I have graciously reserved for the themes of your choice, and you must do three shows per month. Don't forget about that rule change you insisted on, too. About reviewing international shows? Oh, and you might want to start making plans in the next few months. Looks like you're going to be reaching your 100th assignment soon. Can't believe you've lasted that long. You're so bad at this, I really should have obliterated you a long time ago. But I'm just generous then. Oh, Christ. Have I been down here this long? 
never use the opposition's name down here. Seriously, I mean, that's like rule number one in the handbook of the dam. It's on the title page next to the HarperCollins copyright mark and everything. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Five years later and I'm still getting used to all this. Something else you should get used to? I'll be watching you. I might not have the same form or the same voice when I do, but make sure you don't get too lazy again. Or else. Okay, sure. Say no more. Oh, and one other thing. I know what you've been trying to do around here, but I'm gonna let that slide. Because deep down I know you're never gonna find it. So just save what little breath you have to breathe down here. Because there isn't a single TV show that will check off all nine circles of hell. You are stuck here. Forever. But most of all, get out of here. Have fun. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to be at a ribbon-cutting ceremony for the 6th Chipotle in the state of Idaho. Make it a good year this year, will ya? Next time on Telehell, it's our Thanksgiving episode. I know, so soon, right? And what better way to celebrate than with a look at some games that are anything but priceless. And now, Anthony, I want you to see the new game you're going to play. Let's show him the shower game. Until then, thanks for being patient with us as we come back. And of course... If it's not in Telehell... It's not worth a damn. The part of the Devil's Secretary was played by Joan Bishop. The part of Con Wayne was played by Chad B. White. And introducing Darren Marlar as our boss. Listen to him on Weird Darkness wherever you stream podcasts or at WeirdDarkness.com. Welcome aboard, Darren. Glad to have you with us. And now, here are the rest of the credits. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. A lot has changed in the world of social media since we last spoke. Particularly, the place where you tweet is no longer tweetable. But we're still there, just under the letter X. We're also still on Facebook, and yes, we're also even on Blue Sky now. Though, I hear you kind of need an invitation code to get in. I'm working on that, but try to follow us on Blue Sky anyway. That's X, Facebook, and Blue Sky, all three of them, at Telehell Podcast. But aside from socializing, do not forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, wherever you hear this show. That's the only way you can get people to know that we exist. See you later.